Horseman Today radio show. I'm your host. My name is John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired Baltimore police sergeant. In most episodes of the Law Enforcement Today radio show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about issues that affect law enforcement officers, both active and retired, their families, friends, and supporters. We'll also be discussing incidents in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Visit our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today. Another edition of the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm, should I call myself John J. Wiley? I don't know. Use I, mean, a, I get you, tired of saying that. Everybody you, calls me Jay. Use an alias. What were some of the sweet names they called you back in the day, Jay? Oh. Come on. Man, that could be a podcast in itself. Come on. Give me one. <laughs> uh, I was called Hoghead because I have a very large noggin. Oh, my God. I wish we I talked just, about that. We just found out that today. Uh, when I was a patrolman, I was called Squirt because I was so small. It was sarcastic. Yeah. I was also called Deep Throat because of my yeah. voice. You're no squirt. How tall are you? Big foot because I have a really big foot. Uh, so I'm I'm six foot. Six foot. I seem taller than that. Yes, yeah. you do. Uh, my real name's John Joseph Wiley. Everybody calls me Jay. And my radio name on air at Pirate Radio is Ripley. So I've got like dozens of names. I Why Ripley? To. The last station in Maryland, classic rock station, I got hired to work at. The owner sat down. His name is Roy. Really nice guy. Had a good time up there. And he goes, make this your station, the whole nine yards. He goes, and but your name is Ripley. I'm like, why? Because the station is called 97.7 The Rocket. He goes, I always wanted Ripley on The Rocket. So that's your name. I'm thinking, Ripley? That doesn't even make sense in this day and age. I'm like, how about, because I rode a motorcycle. How about Ryder? He goes, nope. That reminds me of CC Ryder. I'm like, how about something else? He goes, nope. He goes, by the way, I signed your checks and said, okay, Ripley it is. Ripley it is. And it stuck. When I transferred down or transitioned to Key West, Pottery to Key West, Ripley stayed. Yeah. You'll never guess my nickname. Let me see. Your name's Robert. Your mom didn't call you Bob. Yeah. So yeah. you were no, you're always called Robert, never Bob. Right. Well, I don't she made think, that a point. I don't think you ever told me a nickname. What was it? Taz, the Tasmanian devil. I can see that. Yeah. Short head, short neck, and everything I did was uh, a Full throttle? Way. Yeah, full <laughs> throttle. Yep. Uh, have you slowed down? I don't think so. I don't. Maybe a little bit. I, you know what? If your wife were to have an I honest matured. conversation, if I said, is Robert as hyper as he was when he was in his 20s or 30s, what would the answer be? She'd say no, and in fact, he forgets and stutters and has less of attention span than he did back then. Yeah? Yeah, for sure. I'm much mellower now than I was when I was in my 30s. I look at that as wise. Yeah. You know, I remember coming on the job, you know, how the old timers, a lot of guys, oh, that lazy, lazy. You know what? No, I learned a lot from them. Correct. I had to learn to slow it down, was- and I never really learned that lesson too well, and I paid the price. You know, a lot of physical injuries, a lot of all the stuff, getting in trouble, the whole nine yards. And uh, So were you code three balls to the wall always, going to a call? Always. And- uh, here's a, a true story. Uh, I was in what we called operations in the district, Northwest District, and it was, you know, like a, a, an extra unit to go out there, attack high crime areas, things of like that. Unmarked? No, in a work car, okay. and I'm in uniform, <clears throat> and my sergeant's name was Bob. I'll just say that. I won't give his full name. Great guy, by the way. I must have given him ulcers and all kinds of gray hair. I had been to handle a call and made an arrest for an armed robbery at a chicken fast food joint, and I got the guy, blah, 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 and I brought him in, and he goes, I was missing a piece of crucial information, and he goes, go back to that place, and he said, and get that person's name, and he says, and for goodness sakes, 
come straight back to the station. All right? So I leave. It's only about two miles away. I go to the chicken place. I get the name. As I'm pulling the parking lot, I see three stolen cars going by me. And what do you know happens? I'm following and pursuing stolen cars and wound up getting like four more arrests. My sergeant. You must have been Bob's favorite. Oh, he was ready to kill me that night. And of course, it's an hour before we're getting off. Right. So it's like, yeah, I had a hard time getting away from that. So you were the magnet? Uh, if there was an idiot or, or an insane person or <laughs> gun around, they always found their way to me. I don't know why. I, I maybe because I looked. I don't know. But there's always a saying: if there was a mental case in, within, uh, you know, 500 yards, they they gravitated towards me. I'd be eating lunch. The very few times you get to take a lunch break, someone, hey, officer, how you doing? You know, and they're wearing a winter coat and it's 98 degrees outside. <laughs> oh. Carrying a lunch bucket, you're like, eh, I'm doing. Did good. Bob send you? <laughs> yes, did Bob send you? Speaking of Bob, your name's Robert. I don't call you Bob, but we have a special guest today, Robert Weisskopf. He also goes by Bob. An interesting guy, retired Chicago police lieutenant, long thirty year career, been involved in police unions, and now he's an author. Doing cookbooks and sci-fi. It's not the type of typical police books you would think. So let's go to the phones and let's talk to Robert Weisskopf. From the Windy City, or nearabouts, Chicago, my kind of town, Robert Weisskopf joining us today. Uh, I prefer Bob, I understand. Bob, how are you? I'm doing real well today, thank you. So you are a retired Chicago police lieutenant, correct? Correct. Tell us about your career. It spanned, what, 30 years? Yeah, in, in 83, 1983, on Valentine's Day, I uh, started at the academy. I uh, did my training. I went to the Belmont and Western District. That was 19. I was there for a couple years, and I got shipped out to the uh, Austin District, the west side, where if you see in the newspapers, that's where all the action is now. It was a busy district back then. I spent eight years there, and I was able to move back to the Belmont and Western District, uh, the 19th District, for for a couple years, where I got the opportunity to work on the TAC team and on gang team. From there, I got promoted to sergeant, went to Town Hall, which, which was the 23rd District. Now, God only knows what they call them now. That's the area with Wrigley Field and okay. uh, the lakefront, and it it was a, a very pleasant district to work in. It had its moments. You've got the uptown area, which uh, had issues. And uh, uh, along the lakefront in the summertime, you always have problems with crowds and with all kinds of things. And from there, I actually I got detailed to housing and urban development for narcotics enforcement, where I led a team for about a year and a half. Did operations in the uh, public housing areas, both scattered site and um, the uh, high-rise housing. And after that, I got promoted to lieutenant. I went to the 17th District, Albany Park. I was there for uh, two and a half years working straight midnights. Ended up getting offered uh, straight days, weekends off in a company car. Oh, yeah. If I would take over the, uh, you know, police policeman heaven, right? Uh-huh. Uh, if I would take over as commanding officer of the alternate response section. And then you got involved also with union stuff, didn't you? Right. As a lieutenant, I got asked to uh, be the area rep. So I moved up from the area rep up through different positions up to the point where I was president for six years. 
I, I helped in negotiating one contract and was instrumental in negotiating a final one before I retired. So you've had a quite a long and colorful career. What was one of your fondest memories working in Chicago? Uh, you know, you talk about a police family, and it, it truly is. And I had some great times with some really, really colorful character people. But one of the things I truly remember fondly is a Thanksgiving we all worked when I was at uh, uh, Town Hall Station. We, I was on the afternoons. I had to work. Everybody else, you know, of course, is out with their families and things like that. Well, those of us that work actually got together and hired a caterer to come in. You hired and a caterer with real money and everything? Must have been on that oh, lieutenant yeah, salary. Yeah. I, lieutenant you know, it wasn't salary. much. I mean, they must pay Chicago was, a lot of money. We, we had it was like the chicken joint. <laughs> yeah, we were yeah the- well, we had, we had turkey and fixings, okay? Wow. And then, of course, everybody brought in a family treat. And yeah, that's uh, that's KFC's back door for us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we no, I'll tell you what. This was a just an amazing meal. And in the neighborhood relations community meeting room, they had one of these huge conference tables. You could seat at least 25 people around. And we just I think we had everybody in the district in there. I don't think there was any cars on the street for an hour. But we ended up with you know, everybody brought their own stuffing. They brought their own sweet potatoes. They brought something that's special from their family, plus what the caterer had. And you're making me and, smile just talking about that because I it remember like a, doing Sounds like a fire like department to me. It was like a it well, was, big family, was, but we, we didn't get to do it when we were working. We always had to do it when we were off. Sure. No, this was amazing. I, I mean, it was one of the nicest Thanksgivings I remember ever. I wonder if they implemented it as a tradition. You know... The people that were there that day, we all kind of, you know, you know how units, they, they dissolve and people move on. Right. And, and the next year, most everybody was on somewhere else. So I don't know if they did. I don't think so. That's a great memory. I think memory. it was a one-of-a-kind deal. On the other side, for the, the really good memories, there's always a bad one or two. You want to share any of those? Well, I remember working on the west side, and uh, there had been a home a winter fire and they're always of course the worst in the poor areas mm-hmm. you know the people are using their their stove to help heat they're using electric space heaters there was a fire in an apartment building and there were a couple people were killed in it unfortunately there was a little boy who was probably about 4 years old at the time and he had been severely burned now at the same time i had a son the same age and I remember it being in the emergency room as they were working on this kid, thinking, this could be my son. And I was talking to the nurse. I said, what happens to him next? And she says, well, they're going to ship him off to the burn center. But the problem is he's going to need tons Surgery. of therapy. And if he survives the next 24 hours, he's going to need thousands and thousands of dollars worth of treatment. And she goes, they don't have any insurance. And I thought, you know, what a, what a shame. This poor little kid, four years old, who at this point, he's innocent. He's sweet. He's fun. I, based on my experience with my four-year-old, it's a shame that because he had no insurance, his life was going to be cut short. I was just, you know, it was one of those, brought a tear to my eye. And sure. I was thankful I had a good job and steady insurance. 
And it, it really brings to the forefront of your mind, and police see it all the time. Our firefighter brothers and sisters do too, just how cruel and unkind this world can be. You know, the forces of nature, humanity, it's worse, all the different things you hear. But when it hits you, it hits you like a punch to the solar plexus. And it just, it takes a long time. I don't think we ever totally get over it. You know, I don't know if I'd want to. It's part of what makes me what I am today. That's a good point. Bob, you were talking about your feast. Is that a result of the now cookbook that I I hear that you're, uh, uh, did? Well, yeah, part of it. Um, a little family history. My father's father was a pastry chef. My father apprenticed as a pastry chef. Cooking's always been normal for the men in my family. When I got divorced, I'd get my kids, you know, two or three days at a crack. When I had them, I always thought one thing I don't want to lose is that family feeling. I don't want it just to be that they show up and we go eat at McDonald's and we go right. eat at this restaurant, we go eat at that restaurant. I felt it important that we actually sit down and have at least one good family meal. And at this point, I was actually, uh, I had the commanding officer's position, so I had, a, I had a nice office and I had a secretary. And my secretary would come in on Monday and she'd say, so what did you make the boys? What did you make the boys? So I'd tell her, and she'd, she'd, she's a phenomenal cook herself. And she'd give me ideas, and she finally came up and said, you know, Bob, you really should put this all in a cookbook. You've got some great recipes here. And I thought, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll, yeah, when I'm retired. Well, about a year and a half ago, I'm having coffee with a friend of mine, and he's just published his book. And we used to work together, and, and no slight to him, but I thought, hell, if he wrote a book, I sure as hell can. <laughs> And I thought, well, you know, they say, write what you know. And, and boom, I kept remember thinking of my secretary saying, Bob, write that book, write that book. So I went through and I came up, I just started putting together recipes that I made for my children, comfort food that my mother made for me that I always enjoyed. I actually found some of her old handwritten recipes on there, little note cards and scraps of paper. And I scanned those in and included those in the book. For instance, my mother made the world's greatest potato salad. Never tasted it anything as good. I couldn't find the recipe. And finally, I was at a family gathering. I asked my one cousin if she had the recipe. And her daughter looked at me and she goes, you mean the the Hellman's recipe? And I said, well, it it uses Hellman's mayonnaise. And she goes, no, no, no. It's the recipe on the side of the jar. So it was on the side of the jar the entire time? Yes. Now... (laughs) I'm like, come on, you know, this should have come down from heaven on a stone tablet. This was so good. I went online, looked it up, and I, and the, the recipe itself, exactly as my mother made it, is called old-fashioned potato salad, just the way mother made it. That's and great. I'm kicking myself because it's been there all along, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. So you wrote this book, uh, a cookbook. What's the title yeah. of the cookbook? The title is Dining, Not Just Eating. The cookbook for single dads and their kids. That's such a great idea. You go from being a police in a big city, and what happens to a lot of people, especially police, the marriage falls apart for what for a myriad of reasons. And in an attempt to keep some stability, you, you document 
not just a cookbook and recipes, how you and your sons maintain that family meal structure on a regular basis. That's a wonderful story. You know, it's still to this day, when my sons and I get together, I usually try to cook. They have their favorites. They have some things they ask me to make periodically. My sons, two of the three, have actually been in food service in several different jobs. They followed your footsteps in cooking. Did any of them enter uh, our profession, our chosen profession? No, no, they haven't. Um, they really, and it's when you think about it, because they're both of their grandfathers, their father, their aunt, their uh, uncle, uh, great uncles, and great great uncles were police. Wow. I don't know why they never decided they wanted to. I just think that. They just weren't interested. And quite frankly, as long as they're happy doing what they're doing, I really don't care what they're doing. Right. I hear you. That's uh, true love, true, true And I, I love being police, but I'd, I'd have a hard time given the current climate of, of recommending it to people. You know, I still I do. Agree. But it's just I'm it's really tough. happy that, they're, that they didn't decide to. And I'm glad my daughters aren't in law enforcement right now. I'm really, really yeah. glad because especially in my old agency, I would not refer anybody to them at all. You've become pretty much a full-time author now, correct? Correct. Yeah, I actually, I'm probably spending 80 hours a week working on between writing and marketing. Now, what are the different books you've written? How many have you written so far? Well, I've got a total of six titles published. Uh, the cookbook, four novels in a series. Uh, they're science fiction. It's part of the, um, the Journey of the Freighter Lola sci-fi series. And then I have a short story that's a prequel to this series. So none uh, of them are about police work. I was just going to say, that's very interesting. You basically, well, re- you retired and you basically stepped away and rather successfully. My, my main character is a busted up old copper from Earth. Oh, I can relate to that. 400 years in the series, in the future. And he's just a, got banged up and he's got a bad back and he's got, Every retirement copper, the way they ache and groan when they're walking around. Uh-huh. Does he have the bad and, attitude to go with it, too, at times? Yes. <laughs> and that experience and um, that wisdom that he's learned while on the job. And what is and that character's takes, name? Jack Tracy. Jack Tracy. So he's in several of your books. Yeah, he's actually in all the novels because it, it, it's a continuing series. Where do people get information or can buy your books? Well, you can go to my website, bobweisskopf.com. That's all one word, B-O-B-W-E-I-S-S-K-O-P-F.com. And I have links on there to Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and CreateSpace. And those are the three sources for the books. And they're available as a, a ebook or as paperback. And I understand they might be available in lawenforcementtoday.com sometime in the future if they're not already. I'll have to get on that immediately, awesome. yes. Awesome. we got to give ourselves a shame, shameless plug there for sure. Of course. Now, I've got a question. When you're not writing, uh, are you still communicating and in touch with people still in a job or just recently retired? Oh, yeah. Yes, most definitely. Um, I um, One of the things that uh, we always did as police officers was you stopped for coffee every day and you usually ran into another car, a couple other guys and you stopped and you had coffee together. Well, I thought, why should I stop? So 
every day I get on Facebook when I'm heading out for coffee and I put where I'm going, which and what Starbucks or whatever it is that I'm going to, and about how long it'll take me to get there. And I invite anybody who wants to come and join me. And half the time, somebody joins me. Sometimes they're retired. Sometimes they're active duty. And if they don't, well, I read my book. There you go. Now, speaking of active duty, what would you say, your assessment of the current morale situation for the uh, law enforcement troops, the, the rank and file in Chicago Police Department, and also the surrounding areas? Well, the ones I talk to, my impression is they want to do the job. They joined because they wanted to make a difference. They wanted to be the police. They wanted to serve and protect. Unfortunately, they're at the point now where they're afraid to. They see more and more where saying the wrong word can cost them financially where things that they learned how to do 20 years ago are just terrible. You're not allowed to do it. They see where they're doing a good job and people are spitting at them, Mm -hmm. um, calling them all kinds of names. They unfortunately also see their children at times being bullied and mistreated because they're the sons of police or the daughters of police. And they're, they're concerned for their families. And, you know, if they're single... Their concern is a little bit different, but once they start having kids and they have a mortgage and they have tuitions to pay for, they want to get out there and they want to hustle and they want to do the job, but they are doing it not with the same zeal that they once did I get you. that wasn't the culture they just can't afford to that wasn't the culture when you were uh, still active was it Bob you know. It was starting to change, and unfortunately, this is this has been at least ten, fifteen years coming, uh, leading up to this. Departments and municipal governments have let the ball; they've dropped the ball. Rather than supporting their officers and looking at it, they've used the officers as pawns in politics. You know, sadly enough, what's going to happen? There's an, the old adage in. in criminal justice that society gets the police force it deserves right and it's it's about as true as ever right now society is complaining that crime is up just in chicago alone look at all the homicides and the shootings this week uh, sunday and monday i think we've had 15 shootings already now bob uh, is it social media and the media itself or has the crime just gotten out of hand since you retired or was it as bad back then, but we just didn't have the media outlet and, and play. It's gotten worse and it's, it's a combination of factors. It's not just the media, but that's a, it's a huge part of it. Social media has played a big role in it because of course there's instant communication between problem makers, all the troublemakers. You look at all the demonstrations and everything, they're organized to a degree that they never were organized before because every each and every one of them has a smartphone and they know where they're doing where they're going, what they're doing. And that makes it that much more difficult. And, and makes it very fluid. Uh, uh, the oh, the exactly. uh, flash mob effect where people can get people somewhere very quickly. Oh, police are here, let's move to this location. 
so it's true. heartbreaking to see what's going on. And I went through some of that too, way back in the eighties and early nineties, where we started saying the big saying we had was I'd rather be tried by 12 than carried by six. Um, sure. we'd all say, say things. We carried revolvers back then. They'd say, you know, if you got in a really bad yeah. situation, fire five and keep one for yourself. So you don't get captured. Yeah. And that was rightly or wrongly. That was the mindset, but it was definitely changing that there was more potential pitfalls for a police officer being proactive and trying to make a difference on the streets, on their post, on their designated area to make it safer. Because the drug dealer made a complaint automatically, you were suspected of something wrong. It didn't matter. Sure. You get enough complaints, you're put off the street, whether it's proven or not, until otherwise. And the sad thing about it is, is the media is real quick to jump onto it and say, well, he was accused of this. Why wasn't anything done? Well, just as in any courtroom, you have to be accused and then tried before you can be found guilty. And just because there's accusations does not mean that they're guilty of the offense. Right. So a working officer, we were always told a good, hardworking officer is going to have beefs. Yes. There are going to be complaints filed against him. And for a, quite a while there, the attorneys, the defense attorneys were telling the defendants immediately to go file a complaint against the officer as part of their defense, whether there was anything to it. Just go and tell them that the copper hit you or right. that he planted the dope on you. Yeah. We and had the same thing. It was excessive force discourtesy automatically. That's what exactly. they say. And here's part of the problem. Although you had to swear to that complaint, if you were the, the guy's arrested, you had to swear to that complaint. They're criminals. They don't care. They never got charged with false report. Right. Never. Right. The department and, and the city the would never Chicago. hold them accountable. In Chicago, to file a complaint against an officer, you'd have to sign an affidavit. And uh, uh, they're trying, the, several of the aldermen and, and the community people are trying to eliminate the affidavit. Oh, wow. I can't for the life of me think of one case since they instituted the affidavit where they actually went after the complainant who lied on the yeah. affidavit. Of course not. Is that that doesn't surprise anybody that's listening to us now. Yeah. It's 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 sad. It's sad. You've seen the uh, struggles that the officer on the street now is coming face to face with the onslaught, the the uh, the video phones constantly. And the senseless violence against everybody that's wearing a uniform these days. And the media just perpetuates it. They take partial of a video, have no idea why the officer is at the scene and show what they see on a video and prop it up and and make their determination based on that. That's what I realize. And unfortunately, I've seen police officers fall for it, too. You have to realize that what you're seeing on a video is just one separate viewpoint. You aren't seeing what happened before the incident. You aren't seeing the events that led up to it. You're not seeing it from the other side. Uh, I remember having a domestic one time, and the uncle came up to me, and he says, no, 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 you don't understand. And, you know, they were European, and they came from a small uh, Eastern European country. And they said, well, you don't understand. That's not the way our people are. I said, no, I do understand. There's his story, there's her story, and there's a truth somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me, he smiled, he goes, you understand. Yes. And that's what the media isn't portraying. They aren't explaining to people that, yeah, this video shows this, but other factors are involved. There's more to it than just what you're seeing in this little simple video. 
That doesn't, you know, that? if it, it bleeds, it, it leads. He used to say all the time in Baltimore. Oh, right. No, right. If, if it, it bleeds, bleeds, it leads. Right. Yes. Yes. That's sad. And, uh, you know, uh, on our Facebook page, um, when an officer falls in the line of duty, we post something. And every day, every time that we do a post of a fallen officer, uh, somebody inevitably comments, this has got to stop. Mm-hmm. And my fear is that it's just beginning, um, especially if we continue down this path where we have no leadership and nobody stepping in to protect the rights of the officers on the street doing the job. And if they don't step up and back the officers, like you said, Bob, doing our jobs, you know, we'll just, some of them now are just waiting for the radio call instead of back in the day when... Just being a mobile secretary. Correct. Instead right. of, yeah. Right, exactly. It's, it's, we used to call it pimping for the insurance company. Yeah. That's what handling a traffic accident was. Uh, you certainly weren't preventing traffic accidents, but you were reporting them for the insurance company. Right. And that's what you're now doing. Uh, they're doing is they're waiting for the call to respond to do the paper report. They're not aggressively, proactively patrolling like they once did. And that means that people who are most vulnerable in our societies are, are the most easily targeted. And Certainly. The youngsters, uh, the elderly people, the infirmed, because just like in nature, predators pick out the weakest targets. They always exactly. do because they don't want to get harmed themselves. And that applies to humans as well as lions. It doesn't uh, make a, a difference. And then you have all these people on the edge of, of uh, dangerous lifestyles, youngsters easily swayed into gangs and uh, quick money selling drugs. Are you being enforcement? You carried a gun, and next thing you know, they're all involved in just horrific violence. They're more interested in videoing a cop in a struggle, a violent struggle with the perp, and just videoing it so they could post it on social media. Why not drop well, the they, phone and help out? Yeah. They want to get that two seconds when the police officer punches the offender. Sure. And didn't I just see in Chicago a 25-year-old young woman was just arrested for shooting in a gun battle with police? Right. 25. And people yes. think, oh, that's a young lady. She'd never do that. The dealers, the hand-to-hand deal they saw, the guy, one guy ran, the male ran, and she pulled out a gun and engaged in gunfire with the, with the police. Right. Fortunately, the officer was wearing his vest. Thank and God. he was... Treated it and released with some bruising. She was shot three times. Back in the um, day, that never would have happened. That was unthinkable for women to do that type of violence. I don't know about you, but when I my first half of my career, you never wore your vest except on New Year's Eve or if you were going on a search warrant. Yeah. It was too hot and, and cumbersome. And so and you they didn't, didn't stop wear a whole lot either. <laughs> True. And... It, the second half of my career, when I went on TAC and gangs and doing a lot more narcotics enforcement, you started wearing it daily. But nobody wore it. And, you know, we were also part of the, uh, the revolver crowd, too. Right. So, you know, it was uh, six bolts in your gun, six bolts in your dump pouch. And um, that's all a lot of guys ever carried, that and their baton. A different time. Different time, for sure. Let's go back to your books that can be found at your website, which is? BobWeisskopf.com. You can also find it on uh, Facebook. I have um, um, uh, Robert Weisskopf on Facebook. Is uh, I have both an author's page and my personal page. I'm on Twitter. I'm on uh, Pinterest. I'm on Google Plus. You name it. If it's there, I'm on it, selling my books somewhere. Bob Weisskopf uh, is all over the web. 
Well, I want to thank you so much. Please do us a big favor. Uh, when you run into active duty officers, please tell them we said, you know, thank you for what you're doing. Please be careful. And for all the retirees, formers that you know, please tell them we also said thank you very much for your service. I certainly will. And I want to thank, thank you, you for, for your... being a guest on the show, man. Very enlightening. And we'll definitely have to have you back in the future. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Now, that's what I call a fascinating guy with an interesting story. Bob Weisskopf, uh, writing cookbooks. Reinventing himself. Reinventing. Most of us don't know what to do, and Bob just settled right in with writing books. Now, I say it's one cookbook, and it's some sci-fi, but the, the whole idea of, of a man, and I know lots of police like this, married, have a family, the, the marriage fails, and they don't have custody of the kids, so they try to do the weekends bit, and trying to find a way to, way to make it work. And he takes all that and transfers it into a cookbook. It's awesome. And, and you know what? I got out of that too is, you know, it was a way to spend quality time with his kids. And I must admit, I'm one of those thing guys when my kids come home from college, what do we do? We go out to dinner. Because you don't want to have to cook dinner. And I get that. But the other thing I really liked about him is that uh, we hear the stereotype all the time of the, the old retired police, and we did laugh about it a little bit with his character in the sci-fi novels, the old busted up cop right. in the future and uh, the bad attitude and everything else. He's taken his police experience and transitioned to an entirely different life, but he still has the favorable elements of his police career and maintained his friendships and all that. And I like the way he did the pivot. Pivot and change, and okay, my career's over, and it's not easy for a lot of us to do. No. It's no. a tough transition. That should be a book he should write. We should mention that to him. His transition from law enforcement and reinventing himself as a writer. And that could be anything, uh, reinventing yourself as a candle maker. It could be anything. But most people, I, I could see myself, you, you're you doing it. Mm-hmm. You, somehow, some way, we stay connected to law enforcement. It's what I, we love on our passion. And Bob's had a very distinguished co- career yeah. being a Chicago PD, lieutenant. Um, you heard all he does. And yet he's walked away and and he's happy and he's very content about writing books. And living two lives very well, which is awesome. And I want to thank him so much for spending time with us today. Now, if you want to be a guest in an upcoming episode of Law Enforcement Theory Radio Show, we've made it super, super easy for you. First of all, we're we're booked up for about a month, you think, right now? But if you want to be a guest or if you have a topic or a question or something, uh, maybe even criticism as well. Although we may not respond to the criticism too much. We got a few of those this week. Thank goodness you handle them. You're more diplomatic than I am. Cop haters, come find me, please. I love (laughs) you guys out there. If you you want to be a guest, a suggestion, a topic, or even criticism, contact us. We'd love to hear from you. You can do it two ways. One would be uh, send us a message on our Facebook page. Uh, law enforcement today or on a website at the bottom of the contact us page is very very easy send us a message very very easy and uh, if those of you that can't figure out how to find us on those two links please email me it's letceo at gmail.com we, wait a minute we've been working on you getting your own custom ending yeah you know i put that on facebook i didn't have many people getting involved there um basically what we're talking about folks is uh jay has a signature sign off where he goes it's always see ya. at the and i, I did it on radio I, it's something that started a long time ago yeah and that's awesome and i and i i need help out there what should be mine i just want to i guess mine's going to be long-winded and just thanking everybody no, we can't whether, have the long-winded it's, one. It's, that, that's all i got right now i got no see uh 
you know, bullets fly. I, I if got you have an idea for a way to Robert to have his own signature yeah, I need a signature, closeout, guys. Help me out. Yeah, just send him a message on our Facebook page or also, again, on our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. So on behalf of Robert Greenberg and everybody associated with Law Enforcement Today, I'm John J. Wiley. See ya. Thank you.